at seven or six to seven thirty or Sadusky campus. It's going to be incredible. If you have kids and grandkids, bring them. My four kids will be running around. It is not formal. It's informal worship, reading scripture, prayer stations. It's just going to be an incredible time of worship. All three of our campuses coming together. Because really, it's all about Jesus. Amen to that? It's all about Jesus. Whether we worship or we open the scriptures, especially this book at the end of the Bible called Revelation, it's all about Jesus. We just sang about Jesus. Our hearts overflow because of who Jesus is. And now today, we're going to read a passage that truly is all about Jesus. And as I was preparing this message and reading this text, I was so overwhelmed by the reverence that we ought to give to Christ and who he is that I want to ask you to stand as I read this text. So stand with me. You don't have to read it out loud, but I ask that you would just, out of reverence for who Jesus Christ is, take this in. It was the Lord's day. I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like wool and as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And the face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You may be seated. That's God's word for us today. And as we read this incredible text of the risen Jesus in all of its glory, I want to ask two questions of the text today. First of all, who is Jesus and what does this mean for us? And second of all, how does Jesus intend to show the world who he is? So let's begin by who is Jesus and what does it mean for us today? Because when we read Revelation, this isn't about a code to be deciphered. It's not about predicting when Jesus is coming back. Revelation was written to seven churches for their patience and their endurance as they went through suffering. And they needed a picture of this risen Christ in all of its glory to continue to live for him. And that is what this is all about. It's about Jesus and how does it impact us today? And so I want to walk with you through all these incredible descriptions of Jesus and figure out what are all these symbols all about. So let's begin. In Revelation 1, verse 13, he says, And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. When we see Jesus and we see him in his risen glory, we understand that he is God, but he is also all man. Jesus is fully God and fully human. 
And when John sees this, he is showing us that, yes, he is human. It's the name that Jesus gave himself in the Gospels. When you see Jesus referring to himself, he's saying, I am the son of man. I am all man. But it's not just the Gospels that we see this son of man language. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, Daniel and Revelation have a close connection. Both are called apocalyptic literature. And in Daniel, we see this glory, this man, this son of man in his glory. He puts it this way. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all of the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is Jesus, all God, all man, in his glory, reigning from the throne, saying that he is in control. He rules, he reigns. All we have to do is obey him, bow down to him, realize that he is God, and align our lives with him as such. That's why every time we look at this description of who Jesus is, I want to tell you how we can rest in the fact that he is who he says he is. And so for this verse, we see in verse 13 and in what Daniel says that we can rest in the fact that Jesus is in control. When you feel like life is out of control, he is in control. I was, couldn't sleep last night from about 2 to 4 o'clock and my mind was just worrying about things. And I finally got to the point where I was like, Lord, I either believe who you are or I don't. I believe that you're in control or I need to be in control. And finally I just said, Lord, you're in control. And I think I finally drifted back off to sleep. He is in control. He reigns on the throne. John goes on. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. We're not talking about a robe that you get from the back of your bathroom hanger that you put on at night. No, this is a priestly robe, a robe that we would see an Old Testament priest wearing. The Old Testament priest was someone who was between God and people. He represented God and represented people to one another. And we see in Hebrews that Jesus is this high priest, that he is our representative to us and to God. I love what Hebrews 7.25 says. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. And I love this. Jesus lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Right now, Jesus is interceding to the Father. He is pleading to the Father talking to the Father, praying on our behalf that our lives would look like Jesus. When Jesus is our high priest, he is praying that our lives at the end of the day would reflect who Jesus is and his character. He is praying that into us right now. He is pleading for us, showing that he loves us as he goes to the Father on our behalf. See, we can rest in the fact that Jesus is on our side no matter what. Jesus is on our side, and I know that sounds really cliche, but right now, Jesus, in the Father's ear, is telling him about us. He is always on our, uh, he is always there for us. We are always on his mind, and we see that as our high priest. Goes on to say this, his head and his hair were like white, uh, excuse me, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, as I look around here, I see some white hair. No offense, that's beautiful. And that's not just because you are mature in age. It's a sign of nobility. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of wisdom. 
You are the people that I want to go to with my life and say, hey, I want to do this or I'm about to go through this. I know you've lived this. I know that you've gone through this. Now you're on the other side. How do I do this in my life? The same is true about Jesus. That Jesus is the picture of ancient wisdom. Wisdom is all about navigating the truth, navigating this hard life and understanding what Jesus wants us to do when we are going through the ups and downs of life and we don't know what we should do or who we ought to turn to, Jesus is the personification of all wisdom, that he has the answers if we would just go to him. That's why we can rest in the fact that Jesus is the source of all wisdom and he desires that we would seek him for how to live our lives. When is the last time that you sought Jesus on a decision to make? or where you ought to move, or if you should make a job choice, or how you ought to treat your spouse, or what you should spend that money on, or whatever it is, he has the answers. He is full wisdom. He will help us navigate those gray areas in our lives. Oftentimes, I make a decision, and then I consult Jesus afterwards, probably because I'm in trouble, or I did something dumb. Why not go to Jesus before that and say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. You have the answers. You know exactly how to uh, teach me and navigate my life. I want to come to you. You are all wisdom. That white hair isn't old age. That white hair is nobility and wisdom, and all of us should approach him as such. John goes on. Revelation 1.14, and his eyes were like flames of fire. My friend Jim Sammer said this is like Superman, his x-ray vision, his heat vision. He can see everything. And so it is with Jesus. If you, read Revel or if you read Genesis 3, which is in the beginning, you see at the beginning of time, humanity hid from God. And that is our story even today. We are always hiding from God. Either we want to hide because we want to live our own lives and we don't want him to find us or we're hiding from God because of our choices that we've made and we think he can't find us. But God always is seeking us. He sees all things and this is good because you and I, we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to live in that pit anymore. That Jesus sees what you've done. He sees all that you're going through. He sees the decisions that you make. He sees your thoughts. He sees all things. And he wants to bring us out of the dark and bring us into the light. So we don't have to hide anymore. You can stop hiding. It's not benefiting you, nor is it benefiting God or others in your life. He sees it, and yet he forgives it. He sees it, and yet he loves it. That's how we can rest in the fact that Jesus sees us, warts and all, and yet he still wants us. Even in our worst state, even in our brokenness, even when we live our lives and we don't like what we're saying or doing, Jesus still wants you. That should lead us to want to worship him. He sees it and yet wants us, warts and all. John goes on to say this, his feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. This is a picture of strength. Bronze was a picture of immovable strength that not even the powers of hell themselves can knock Jesus off of his throne. His voice is majestic. It thunders like when we are in the midst of a storm and we see the waves of Lake Erie crashing onto the rocks. That is Jesus' strength. 
That when we are weak and we want to give up, that Jesus, he is immovable. He is strong. That when we are weak, we can fall at his feet knowing that nothing can move him. We may be moved. We may be destroyed. We may be hurting, but Jesus can't. He is all-powerful. We can rely on his strength, especially in those times of darkness and weakness when we need it the most. He is strong. He is mighty. He is victorious. Nothing can move our God. John goes on to say he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. The stars represent the seven churches, which we'll get to in a moment. He has them in his right hand. The right hand signifies protection. He has us. He's not going to let us go. And one of the ways that we know he protects us and cares for us is through this double-edged sword. And if you're familiar with scripture, this isn't the first time you've heard of a double-edged sword. We see it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the sword represents God's word. And the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. What does it do? Well, it cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word cuts both ways, and this is good. It cuts one way in that it exposes, it hurts. Like you're going in for a procedure and it has to dig out the sickness or dig out the cancer or dig out the infection. And that really hurts. But why are they doing it? So that you can be healed, so you can be all good again. And that's what God's word does for us. It cuts, it hurts, it exposes. There is nothing that we can do to hide from God's word if we subject ourselves to it. But on the other side of the hurt is the healing, which is God's grace, his love. His word exposes, but it heals so we can be more like Jesus. That's why you and I can rest in the fact that Jesus, he's upholding us, he's protecting us. How does he do that? Through the soul-piercing words of scripture. That's why it's so important not to just to open scripture on a Sunday morning. We open scripture every day so that it can hurt us, but then it can heal us. So we can become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. John goes on. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Just like you cannot escape the sun in all of its glory and all of its warmth and all of its shining and brightness, so too you cannot escape where God is. He is everywhere. He is all around. His glory, his presence is everywhere. You and I cannot hide from that. Sometimes it feels like God is not always there, but just like the sunshine is there, but sometimes it hides behind the clouds, so too is God always there, even though sometimes he may seem like he's hiding behind something else. And so you and I, we can rest in the fact that he's not hiding from us. His glory and light are a blazing light for all of us to draw near to. What a description. I am so undone by that. Can you imagine seeing Jesus in all of his glory? Not this domestic Jesus that we oftentimes think about. He's this nice guy 
This is had a pretty sweet beard and nice flowing hair. No, no, no. This is Jesus in all of his glory who's reigning on the throne forever. What would you and I do if we saw him like that? Probably what John did. John goes, I saw him and I fell at his feet as if I were dead. What's interesting here is it almost feels like there's not a familiarity with John. Like, I saw him, I didn't recognize him, and though I fell at his feet dead, but that's just not true. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was in the three of the 12. He was in the three closest disciples. Jesus was there when he died. Jesus, or John was there when he died. Jesus, John was there when he rose from the dead. John knows Jesus but he can't stand understanding, wow, look at him in all of his glory. It's like his heart and his mind just absolutely exploded and he fell down. It was the only way. It's like he fell down dead, but really he's falling down in, in worship. He can't stand knowing who he is and who he is. And what's so beautiful about this that I can't stop thinking about is you have this picture of Jesus and all of his glory and you have this sword coming out of his mouth and his feet are bronze and his hair is white and his presence is like the sun and you have all of these things and you fall down dead at his feet and what is Jesus' response? He responds like a shepherd, like a pastor, like a friend. Because what does he do? He says this, he laid his right hand on John and he utters the most repeated phrase in all of scripture. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine just worshiping and getting this glimpse of Jesus and his glory and who he is and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you and why he is there for you and, and you fall down and he, he puts his hand on you don't be afraid. Some of you need to hear that today. He's putting his right hand on your shoulder and he's looking at you and he's saying, don't be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. It's interesting, he says, death and the grave. And you think, well, what's the difference? Well, he says he has the keys to unlock this prison that we've all put ourselves in. He can open it for us. And he's talking about eternal death, that he has the keys to unlock it so that it doesn't have to have the final say, but that he has the final say. That when we take our last breath, really it's our first breath into eternity. He has the keys to get us out, but it's not just eternal death. He's talking about the grave. Some of us live as if we're dead. And what I mean by that is we put ourselves in a prison of our emotions, of our feelings, of our thoughts, of our actions, of our past, of our worries about tomorrow, of our broken relationships. And we stay in that prison. And here is Jesus today putting his right hand on you and says, look, I have the keys to get you out. Yes, I want you to live forever in my presence, but I also want you to live forever now. That you don't have to wait to die to live, that you can live today. That I am bigger than addiction. I am bigger than what you've subjected yourself to. I am bigger than divorce. I am bigger than death. 
I want you to live for my purposes and my ways. I have the keys. I've unlocked the door. Come out and live forever, beginning today. Who needs to hear that today? Who is living as if they were dead when Jesus says you are alive? Alive to live for him. And all the ways that we've already looked at, he has you, he wants you, he's seeking you, he's grabbing you out, he's putting his hand, he's like, get up, don't be afraid. It also helps me knowing that when we study the book of Revelation, Jesus is like, don't be afraid. (laughs) This isn't about a code to decipher. This isn't about figuring out a date when I'm about to return. It's not about putting Revelation in some sort of theological framework and just trying to figure it out. You can't figure me out. I am, I am worthy to be worshipped. Didn't you just see that? Revelation isn't about figuring it out. Revelation is about worship. And he's putting his hand on us even as a church and saying, look, I'm here with you. I'm going to teach you things that you could never learn if you wouldn't open this book. He is with us saying, do not be afraid. He has the keys. What I love about that personally is, man, Lord, yes, you have the keys of eternal life. You have the keys of life here. I want to live for you. But what about the people in our lives, our family, our friends, some of our coworkers, those in this world that don't know Jesus? How are they supposed to get a view of this risen Jesus in all of his glory? How are they supposed to learn that Jesus is the only one that has the keys to unlock this prison? This leads us to our second question. How does Jesus intend to show the world who he is? I'm going to take you back to verse 12, and then we're going to go forward to verse 20. Again, John says, when I turned to see Jesus, who was speaking to me, I didn't see him at first. I saw seven gold lampstands. Then he tells us what he means. The meaning of the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and these seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Right now, you and I cannot see this risen Jesus in all of his glory. But Jesus wants us to see him. So if you and I can't see him face to face, how ought we to see him Through the church. Through the church. Jesus subjects himself to the church, meaning he says, if you want to know me, you have to know me through my body of believers. The lampstand represents the light, represents the mission of Jesus. And John is saying to these seven churches, look, each of you have a light to shine in the dark. Each of you have a chance to show this unbelieving world around you that this Jesus who I just told you about in all of his risen glory, he is real. But the only way they see it is through your light. So when John looks and he sees Jesus, first of all, he has to see him through this lampstand, through the church. There's seven churches That's not just a random number. Seven is the number of completion. So when Jesus says you'll see us through his church, he's literally meaning the completed church, meaning from the beginning of time all the way through now, in all of the world, all churches are those that are called to live his light, to shine his light into the world so that people can see it. 
You and I are the face in the picture of the world's understanding of the risen Jesus in all of his glory who has the keys to unlock the grave. It's you and I. How are we doing with shining that light? If people were to see our lives as individual Christians and our church life, would they say, wow, that's a picture of Jesus. That Jesus can unlock the prison that I've put myself in. Or would it look something like this? If you're like me, man, it feels like anytime my windshield can look like this, which it can, and I live by trees, and you know what I'm talking about, birds dropping stuff all over, and then I go to, to put my windshield wipers on and, and use wiper fluid, and then it's all gone. I can't see properly. Or, or if you have glasses, you know exactly the problem with this. I'm always taking my glasses off, oh my goodness, wiping them off, putting them on, because if you have glasses like this or you have a windshield like this, you can kind of see things, but it's a little blurry. And I'm just wondering for with you this morning when Jesus is here and he says, through the chapel, people can see me. Does it look like this or this? Or is our lampstand shining so brightly that when they see our lives and they see the chapel, they see the risen Jesus in all of his glory, knowing that he has the keys to unlock the eternal death and then the death that we've subjected ourselves to on this earth. How do we look clear? How do we make sure our lampstand shines brightly? Well, next week, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is going to encourage the church. He is going to rebuke the church. And then he's going to give the remedy so that you and I can live clear lives so that people can see him brightly. This passage of scripture, Revelation itself, is a picture of hope. Hope that Jesus rules and reigns on the throne. A hope that you and I can rest in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And then he holds the keys, not just of the grave, but of our life itself. But it means nothing if our lampstand isn't shining brightly. And you will see next week in Revelation 2, especially when he's talking to the church in Ephesus, when he says, if you don't get this right, I'll remove the lampstand from your presence. I, want, I don't want Jesus to ever do that from the chapel. I want to have such a beautiful picture of Jesus that it changes my life and reflects it to the world the way he is calling us to. Is that what you want? I hope so. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us a picture of all of your glory. I have a feeling there's more to it. That John has this vision of you and he's so undone that he falls dead on your feet. Lord, would you wake us up? That's how our lives should be. We should feel it. You are so worthy, so glorified, so incredible that we have to live our lives for you. That we have to align ourselves with you. That this onlooking world who is desperate, who is in a prison, can see that you hold the keys to unlock it through who you are. And we are the picture of that. Help us not to live blurry. Help us to be a clear picture of that. Thank you for giving us a clear picture of who you are. For Christ's sake. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's...